Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mike. Are you ready to be a fan today? Oh, I am so ready. It's like vacation for us. We get to just kick back, (laughs) be fans. We don't have to do any deep analysis. I love it. Spring break. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, which episode are we talking about today? So today we're talking about season one, episode nine, Hide and Q. The one in which Riker learns that with great power, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) That's a perfect title because this episode had so many little like quotable kind of like folksy wisdom lines. I know. (laughs) I had to just stop because I think I wrote down like eight quotes or something that I liked, eight or ten quotes. And I was like, okay, now you're just quoting the entire episode. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a very quotable episode. It's like when you read one of those books and you have to put the highlighter down because you realize you just have highlighted the entire book. (laughs) Exactly. That's me on Kindle all the time. I'm like, okay, (laughs) the whole page is highlighted enough. Yeah. Well, I am ready to jump into it because I, you know what? I had fun with this one. I did too. I feel, again, this is a nice classic TNG romp, Yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know if it makes a lot of sense. I don't know that the writing was great, but it was nope. a fun ride and I'm here for it. Let's have fun. All right. Well, we kick off the episode learning that Deanna Troy has been dropped off on G6 for a visit home, meaning she won't be in the episode, causing us great pain, pain, loneliness, and despair. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, this puts the Enterprise close to the Sigma-3 solar system, whose Federation colony put out an urgent call for medical help after an accidental explosion devastated a mining operation there made up of over 500 colonists. Nick, I don't I don't know if I'm looking at a, an old copy of notes here, but you just glossed right over that G6 joke and I am not standing for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. I forgot to save my updated. <laughs> yes, everyone, in my original script, I had <laughs> I had a Far East Movement reference in there. So you're welcome that I didn't say it. <laughs> I tried rehearsing that line and I'm like, this is coming out terrible. I'm just not going to embarrass myself. Okay, well, I'm still working off of those notes. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm still working off of those notes. That was the only thing I changed, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh, well. (laughs) We'll be fine. (laughs) Let that be a lesson to you. Never try to get away from the cheesy jokes. (laughs) I forgot about the uh, control S (laughs) situation. Ah, Anywho. Mining operation. Ah, 500 colonists. (laughs) (laughs) The crew are bustling about getting ready for the rescue mission when none other than Q stops them in their tracks with his signature waffle-patterned space net. Picard breathes, not now, damn it, Q, and the ship goes on red alert. Q appears on the bridge as a weird ball of light with three snake heads coming out of his very random, Mm -hmm. and Worf clicks his heels as he leaps over the bridge railing (laughs) to brandish his phaser at the apparition. Can I just say, Worf was fucking MVP this episode. Yes! So many 
amazing moments. Just I know. I know. I, I just kept thinking that same thing. I was like, Worf really, he makes this episode. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. It's so physical, this episode. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Q cryptically says that the Q Collective have studied his recent contact with the humans and they're impressed. Q says they all have much to discuss and that they may be on the cusp of realizing an impossible dream. Picard says they don't have time for this as they're on a rescue mission, to which Q haughtily says they will abandon their mission as his business with them takes precedence and then switches to a form of that of a Starfleet admiral. Wolf appro- <laughs> Wolf. <laughs> oh, Wolf. Insomnia is a hell of a drug. Oh. Worf approaches Q in a confrontational posture, but Picard tells him to back off. Q laughs and petulantly calls him a macro head with a micro brain. Pity. You might have learned an interesting lesson. Macro head with a micro brain. I think twice in the episode he uses that he insult did. too. <laughs> It was like a little kid insult. I know, so, but like, someone was real proud of that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, they loved it. <laughs> They're like, get it? Because he has a big head. <laughs> like, yes, we get it. Picard and Q speak for a while about Q's proposal and Picard's mistrust of him, during which Q's seizing of Picard's vessel is brought up n- numerous times. <laughs> seize my vessel. Seize my vessel. <laughs> It, it kind of sounds sexual when you put it that way. <laughs> so much of Star Trek does. I know, I know. Oh, who knew? We were just talking about vessel seizing. and. <laughs> well, you know, I do ship Q and Picard, and I'm mad that it's not canon, so. I know, anyway, I know, I know. They're the hottest couple, in my opinion. They are. I love an enemies to lovers story. <laughs> Irritated with Picard's lack of enthusiasm, Q turns to Riker to get his take on the situation, to which Riker responds that they don't have time for these games, which of course causes Q to light up with glee and respond, games? Did someone say games? Y'all should really know better by now. Q probably beams everyone on the bridge off to a strange world, leaving only Picard behind. And leaving me watching, going, what if he has to pee? Dude, no, literally my first <laughs> that was note my first thought. is what if he has to go pee-pee or poo-poo? Oh, you too? <laughs> yes, you'll see it. It's literally my first note. I was like, wait. I know. I was like, oh no, but, but none of the doors are working. <laughs> Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be for him thinking he's like stuck there forever and he's like shit in the corner and he's just gone feral <laughs> and they come back just a few hours later and they're like, sir. <laughs> And he's like, oh, oh I, I thought I thought you guys are going to be gone for longer. <laughs> it's kind of like that old SNL skit with the um, the teleprompter. Did you ever see that one? Mm, I don't know. Tell me more. It's the one they're in a newsroom and the teleprompter goes out and it becomes like Lord of the Flies. And then the teleprompter <laughs> just comes back on and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> I don't remember that. I'm going to have to, I'm going to look that one up as soon as we're done. It was, it was very funny at the time, but I've Mm -hmm. learned the hard way that a lot of SNL skits don't hold up and they're always better in my memory than they are when I rewatch them. Yeah. They're all very topical kind of too, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Usually with a friend who I've just told how funny this skit is to, and Mm -hmm. then I'm like, 
so embarrassed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> like, oh, never mind. Oops. <laughs> we see the crew is on a world with a green sky and two moons as they try to figure out where they are and what the hell is going on. Q appears in a French military marshal uniform from the late 1800s era, saying that humanity reveals itself, itself best in how they play games rather than what games they play. He and Riker sit down to some lemonade as they discuss the terms <laughs> of the game. And what follows is literally the most iconic moment in all of Star Trek, past, present, and future, when Q gives everyone their favorite drink and Worf pours his out with disgust and smashes the glass on the ground because Klingons don't drink with their enemies. Icon. <laughs> that was, I loved that moment. I was it's just like, ooh, you go, So Worf. good. <laughs> He's just absolutely dead-faced, staring him right in the eyes as he pours it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so good. It's like a like a housewives moment. <laughs> Q tells Riker that the Q continuum is interested in humans because change is integral to their existence, but change into what? That's the question. They set the stakes of the game. If the crew wins, they get the greatest possible future they can imagine, and if they lose... Well, they never actually say what happens if they lose. <laughs> the goal of the game is for any of them to stay alive. Q says the game will be completely unfair and puts Tasha Yar in a penalty box, a.k.a. the bridge, when she protests this. He says that if anyone else gets a penalty, Tasha will be pushed out of the penalty box and cease to exist. We join Picard back on a non-functioning bridge where he can't use any of the doors, comms, or computers, so he can't pee-pee or poo-poo. <laughs> Tasha suddenly appears behind him and explains the penalty box situation. She starts crying at the loss of control over her life, and when Picard kindly comforts her, saying when one is in the penalty box, tears are permitted, she makes a very cringy, uncomfortable pass at him, saying... If he wasn't the captain, <laughs> and I died inside a little bit. I know that whoever wrote that scene for her, I was just like, oh, ouch, awkward dialogue, awkward crying so scene. awkward. And just this idea, too, it was so patronizing that, like, if a man, especially an older man, comes over to mm -hmm. us and, like, pats us on the head, then we're like, daddy. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. We're like, oh, I want to fuck you now because you're nice to me for three seconds. Yeah, I know. That was so bad. But that's really how men think. Like, I've had so many guys be like, just say something nice to me or whatever. And then mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we're going to like hook up now, right? And I'm like, what? Because <laughs> you were nice to me for like a half a second? Come yeah, it's on, like, get out huh. of here. I was working under the assumption that human kindness was the lowest possible bar, not the highest possible <laughs> bar of human interaction. Oh, you fool. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, that happened. Yep. Q appears and, of course, gives Picard shit about consorting with lower-ranked females, especially ones in penalty boxes, which... Kinky was very funny to me. Mm -hmm. uh, he then says penalty over, but Tasha stays on the bridge, so I'm a little confused by this part. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Q goes on to say that Jean-Luc Picard is too bound by customs and traditions to be useful to the continuum for their purposes. He reveals that the game's true intention is to test Riker to see if he's worthy of the greatest gift the Q can offer. 
Picard is tickled at this, stating that Riker will beat Q just as Picard did, and Q takes this as an invitation to make a wager on the outcome of the game. Picard's command against the Q keeping out of humanity's path forever, which we all know is not going to happen. Is never going to (laughs) happen. We're in season one, and this is the most interesting character they've introduced. It's like, come on. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Back down on the planet, Worf is on the third ridge. Scouting the alien soldiers that are on the planet with them. Back on the Enterprise, Picard and Q have a conversation via Shakespeare quotes, on the, the importance of which is to demonstrate that Picard very passionately and deeply believes in the goodness and potential of the human race, like a fucking clown. Mm-hmm. This pisses Q off, and he throws the biggest book I've ever seen at Picard, literally throws the book at him, and blasts himself back down to the planet. On the planet, Riker, Data, and Geordi are talking about the alien soldiers and how they have old-timey Earth weapons that would be no match for their phasers. So they're wondering what the twist is, as Q would obviously never leave them with such an advantage. Riker tests his phaser to see if it still works, and it does, blowing up a nearby boulder. (laughs) (laughs) Worf Worf. comically pops up out of nowhere, screaming, drop your weapons, thinking it was a shot fired by an enemy. Jordy remarks that Worf's appearance as incredible, and Worf responds that it was a warrior's reaction. That was so awkward. I was like, incredible, <laughs> why? So like, awkward. At first I thought it was because he didn't realize Worf was there, like Worf was really sneaky or something, but then it's like, <laughs> oh no, he means his reaction of He's like, you came weapons. out of nowhere, incredible. <laughs> that was the Worf scene just looked like the... a little kid to me. Who's I like was playing. just going to say that. I yeah. was like, that's, this, that's like a scene that 10-year-old me would have acted out. <laughs> Drop your weapons! <laughs> uh, Riker asks Worf for his report, and Worf calls the soldiers vicious animal things. Harsh. As he, I know, as he says this, some of the alien soldiers appear creeping towards them from the third ridge. Uh, just Katie, kidding, maybe it's actually the second ridge, I don't really know. Data turns to look at the fast-approaching soldiers after Riker asks him for a theory. When he turns around, he's no longer Data, but Q. Q tells Riker to think fast as the alien soldiers start firing, and surprise, surprise, they aren't actually firing muskets, but some kind of phaser gun. Jordy, or more accurately, the LeVar Burton stunt double, impressively (laughs) flips and rolls out of the way of their shots to hide behind a rock. This is like an action-packed episode. It really was. Riker takes out two soldiers with his phaser, um, but more soldiers are approaching. Q suggests that Riker teleports the crew back to the bridge with a wave of his hand as Q has given him the same powers that he himself possesses, that it is the only way to save them. Q disappears as he returns Data, and his voice echoes in Riker's head saying, Use your power. Riker extremely awkwardly (laughs) turns his hand upwards, and the crew is teleported back to the ship. Also leaving us to wonder, like, why was the crew in such grave danger if Riker basically obliterated the oncoming soldiers in, like, one second? That's, I know, that part made no sense, because I'm like, okay, they have weapons that they didn't anticipate, but they're still just standing there, like, not doing anything. Right, like, Like if there had been, like, a a horde coming towards them, like, okay, yeah, sure, but there were, like, three other dudes coming. (laughs) I know. I mean, Worf could have probably taken them all out when he was on the third ridge. (laughs) (laughs) While Jordy distracted him with his acrobatics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
We meet Picard and Tasha on the bridge, and now that all systems are functioning again, they're able to ascertain that they have maintained their course and speed the whole time, as if they had never stopped, realizing that Q had suspended time. Just then the crew appear back on the bridge. Though Tasha is concerned that Riker is not with them, Picard's super chill about it, (laughs) surmising that Riker's probably safe because Q is interested in him and orders him to proceed with the rescue mission. I know, like, like, ah, he'll be fine. Let's go. Yeah, he was, like, so not bothered about it. (laughs) I know. Like, this is Q, who apparently you guys don't trust and is super dangerous. And he's like, yeah, he's fine. We join Riker back down on the planet, leaning against a rock, la- laughing his ass off. He and Q chat. Q's baffled at Riker's lack of gratitude and enthusiasm over his new powers. Riker presses him for why this is happening, and Q finally reveals that the Q Continuum are concerned with humanity's potential to possibly evolve past even them someday. They want Riker to become one of them so they can study him and understand humans better. Riker jumps up and says, this whole thing is absurd. To become part of you? I don't even like you. <laughs> I kind of like you, that. You're such a I don't line. even like you. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is acting like they were in middle school. It was exactly. so funny. Q quips that Riker is going to miss him as he teleports himself away and teleports in the bridge crew, this time including Wesley Crusher, as well as the captain. The crew are unarmed, missing their phasers, and the alien soldiers are closing in quickly, stabbing Worf and Wesley before Riker gives in and uses his Q powers to block the soldiers and take the crew back to the ship, healing everyone's wounds. Picard realizes with horror that Q has given Riker Q powers, which I I felt like that was very clear. (laughs) So when he was like shocked, I was like, wait, what did you think he was talking about this whole time? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, shouldn't that be like the most logical outcome of this? Maybe you shouldn't have been so chill about it, Picard. Maybe because (laughs) Q's involved. (laughs) It's uh, not good. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Shocking. Riker and Picard chat in the captain's lounge about this, and Picard makes Riker swear that he will never use these powers again if he chooses to stay human, as it would be too dangerous. Of course, we then immediately go down to the planet where a very small, cute child is conveniently very dead, and Riker looks on at her with anguish as he refuses to use his powers to revive her because of his promise he made literally three seconds ago. (laughs) And let's just stop to note the jelly sandals that the dead child was wearing (laughs) it was kind of like they basically were at like the the mall you know yeah and like literally grab some kid (laughs) they just grabbed some kid (laughs) threw some makeup on they're like all right kiddo get in there you're dead now (laughs) Riker goes up to the bridge and gets in Picard's face about what just happened in the quickest corruption of a character in the history of all forms of media Riker is already acting arrogant and slightly evil, demanding a meeting with the bridge crew and dramatically turning on his heel to walk out on Picard mid-sentence. I know. I was like, oh, wow, that power corrupted (laughs) awfully quickly. That quick little turn, too, was just so (laughs) weird. (laughs) The next scene shows said meeting being called on the bridge and Riker calling Picard by his first name, LOL. Riker addresses the crew, saying he's not a monster now that he has these powers and that he's the same William T. Riker they've always known. 
Picard retorts that Riker has already changed, noting that they're suddenly apparently on a first name basis, to which Riker looked like shocked. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, you're not doing this on purpose? Right. I don't know. It was like he didn't he wasn't aware of the change in his own character so abruptly. <laughs> I know there was a part of me that was like, how much of this is just like the 43 minute time format of this yeah. episode where they like, you know, want to unpack this more and how much of it was just like kind of the clunkiness <laughs> of of the way they they put the scenes together. <laughs> yeah, well, and as always, they blame the writing too because it's like 43 minutes is a short time to have an arc like this, but I think it can be done. Sure. But they were like, they didn't know where to allocate the time to mm-hmm. make it work. So I think as as with every episode... They got to a point where they're like, oh, shit, we have to have him turn evil. Uh, just throw a dead kid in there. It'll be fine. <laughs> and it's, it's so true. And the thing is, like, even how it was directed, though, could have been different because, like, they could have at mm-hmm. least put, like, one transition scene in there of Riker, like, you know, <laughs> kind yes. of. Yes. But it's like whoever was directing him was like, OK, now you're corrupted by this power. So call call uh, Picard by his first name and act like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we know it's evil Riker. Yeah. It's like gray Riker. Like, is he going to go dark? Is he going to come back to the light? (laughs) Riker and the rest of the crew argue back and forth about the intentions of the Q in giving him these powers and how they view humans. Q appears very dramatically. And do you know what kind of monk? I was like, I think this is like a monk. Yeah. But I couldn't think of like the era or like how to describe it. I have no idea. And they didn't really even go to any lengths to like unpack what kind of monk outfit. It was just like a generic monk, but like without the shaved head haircut yeah. thing. Like it was it was all just very like, who came up with this? I think Picard's <laughs> reaction to that was the best, where he's like, You and your fucking costumes. <laughs> <laughs> Paraphrasing, of course. Paraphrased, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so Q appears very dramatically in this this monk of indeterminate <laughs> origin outfit to stir the pot, calling Riker brother and prompting Picard to pissly jump up and say one of our favorite lines of the episode, what is this need for costumes, Q? Have you had no identity of your own? <laughs> Savage. It was a great line. It was wonderful. John Delancey as Q absolutely chews the fuck out of the scenery, so to speak, (laughs) while accusing Picard of jealousy and instructing Riker to give his beloved crew members each a gift. Picard smirks and agrees that Riker should do this if he wants to. Riker first bestows upon Wesley 10 years of age, (laughs) turning Wesley into a giant man with giant hands. Those were some huge fucking hands. Those are some meaty paws. I I was like, what the heck was going on? And especially knowing like what Will Wheaton looks like now. It's like (laughs) the fucking opposite. I know. He's just like like this slight little person, you know? Yeah. They did a bad job projecting that in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When Riker turns to data, uh, presumably to give data the gift of becoming human, Data emphatically, almost frantically, says no, stating he never wanted to compound one illusion with another. Good line. There were a lot of good lines in this episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Riker then gives Jordy the gift of natural sight. Jordy looks out of the viewer and around at the crew, grossly commenting on Tasha's beauty before rejecting. It just was so awkward. Why was everyone being so fucking awkward and thirsty in this episode? Did did like Tasha and Jordy have a thing that we just don't know about? You know? Yeah, it it was either referencing something we've never seen or it was just another comment on like her universal attractiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> like it gave me it actually creeped me out because like it made me feel that like men had been talking to Jordy about how hot Tasha was. Oh, yeah. And yuck. so he had built up this idea in his mind of what she looked like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then was like, "Oh, you're even more beautiful than I thought." Yeah, that was kind of gross. So after commenting on Tasha's, you know, a universal, undeniable beauty, (laughs) he rejects this gift, asking to be changed back. Riker gives Worf a female Klingon, which, dude, there's so many issues with this. There was so much wrong with that scene. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, you know, let's make it simple. There was nothing right with that scene. (laughs) Yep, that's it. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's it. it. Mm -hmm. That's a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. Worf engages in what I guess is supposed to be a Klingon mating ritual stuff before he also rejects his gift, stating that the woman is from a world now alien to him and he has no place in his life for this, this... Seemingly meaning sex. I know the dialogue was going. I know. I wrote that down a minute. So he doesn't get to have a sexuality like. Yeah. Yeah. It was very weird. Yeah. Strange. But more on that in a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Wesley comes up to Riker and also asks to be turned back saying it's too soon for this. And his mommy Bev looks pleased as punch. (laughs) Riker asks Picard how he knew. Meaning like how did he know that everyone would reject the gifts saying he feels like an idiot, and Picard says he should, (laughs) which I thought was funny. This exchange insinuates that Riker has officially chosen to reject the Q powers and the offer. Picard tells Q to go kick rocks and (laughs) rightly guesses that the Continuum heard his promise to leave humanity alone if he lost the bet, and Q disappears screaming in a flash of light. In a way that seemed way too conclusive as, like, the end of Q. I was like, dude, it's how many decades later and like he's in Picard, like he's still around. I know. Anyway, maybe I don't know if they thought that like he actually would like, I don't know if the plan at this point was that he actually would not continue to appear in the show. And maybe they realized he was a fan favorite, Mm -hmm. but I feel like probably not like they probably knew he'd be back. Yeah. The episode ends with a corny exchange between Data and Picard, with Data asking how the Q can handle space and time manipulation so well, but them so badly. (laughs) (laughs) And Picard says perhaps space and time are simpler than the human equation, and the crew heads off to their next adventure. Yes, because humans are so special. And that human equation line, I feel like they've used that before, like in an episode already this season. They have, or some variation of it. There was definitely some equation quip before. It's just, it's it's so, I know I keep saying this in every episode, but it's so like Scooby-Doo or like, (laughs) it's so like, like this time period of show where they have to end it with like some folksy wisdom kind of quip so that like the audience all gets the signal that the episode has now come to its conclusion and we can all feel good. 
Um, it's kind of like um, the Jerry Orbach days of Law and Order when he would always like have to like end every episode with him or like Sam Waterson like saying some kind of like folksy wisdom at the end, you know, to make us all be like, <laughs> yep. uh, all is right. An old white man has spoken. All is now right with the world. <laughs> yeah, I feel better now. Yeah. I feel like I know what to think <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and yeah. do with myself. Yeah. Well, we already talked about what if Picard was to go pee pee or poo poo. That we was sure the did. most pressing <laughs> comment on my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, friend, what did you think of this episode? What are your what are your hot takeaways? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I did start off at first. I was like, oh no, is this going to be another one of those episodes? Because they talked about a mining accident with colonists, mm-hmm. and I was just I had like, the same thought. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, not more like imperialism and manifest destiny. <laughs> I did. I did have the thought when they got to the colony. I was like, why are there children working in this mine? What is going on in this colony? I had the same thought, too, because I was like, OK, maybe like the mining, the miners have their families there. But like, why is the child actually in the mine? Yeah. Yeah, that just that whole situation seemed a little bit sus to me. But um, that's why I was laughing at that whole because the whole scene was so contrived. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, not only is there conveniently a dead child that he could save, but he doesn't. Yeah. But also, she's like in the mine. Like, why was she I even know, there? I know, like fully buried. Like there was something weird going on there. They could have really amped up. Like maybe the they have like a little school there, and like all the kids were dead. You know what I mean? Like, they could have done yeah. something to make it first more realistic and also, like, actually give Riker more motivation for this quick, mm-hmm. you know, journey, this quick Anakin Skywalker journey he had to go on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. What took George Lucas three painfully long movies to do with, with Anakin? It's like, it took about three See? minutes in TNG world. <laughs> you just got to hire a Star Trek writer. They can oh, get it done. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. That probably would have been too dark for Star Trek, so I get why they didn't do it. But yeah. it just, it was so contrived. It's like, if you're going to use a dead child as a prop, yeah. then like fucking go for it yeah. and give me something believable. Yeah. I know, because that was, I mean, they were using a dead, like a dead child. Like we were, we were all supposed to see this kid being dead and like Bev picks up the kid and is holding her. Like it's, yeah, you know, it's pretty dramatic. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it they just, didn't even have that long of a conversation because no. Data and Bev were like, oh, you could do something about this. And he's like, but I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. And I'm like, that could have been another like development point is that his fellow crew members, you know, are having these hard feelings in him for not mm-hmm. stepping in. Mm-hmm. And there could have been they love having their philosophical talks. Mm-hmm. So they could have had like a conversation about. Um, like him, because he meant Riker mentions it towards the end that he saved the crew. So like, why could, why shouldn't he save this child? And I'm like, that's actually a pretty good point, you uh-huh. know? Yeah. And I think more in a metal level, it's like, yeah, they, they will always do anything to save the crew. Uh-huh including breaking the prime directive and stuff. So it's like, it is kind of an interesting conversation to have like in a meta sense of like, yeah, why is it that saving the crew is always permissible? Yeah. But then there's these hard lines around like helping other people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually a great segue to my biggest takeaway from the episode, which was whether deliberate or not, um, I got a really strong um, Plato, Plato's Republic Mm. 
vibe from mm -hmm. this. And it, it made me think of the, I don't even, I'm going to say it wrong. I'll butcher it, but like the ring of Gyges where, um, Glaucon is talking about like, if you basically have these, an unjust man and a just man, and you give them both the, the, these, this ring, which allows them to become invisible at will that essentially that would be a test to see if men are fundamentally just or unjust when they have power. Mm. Um, and I, I thought that that was kind of, you know, I mean, insert obligatory Lord of the Ring reference now. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote in my notes a reference ad nauseum for the rest of the episode. Excellent. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but I don't know. It, it is a fun concept and I actually love it. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've even used it in a, in a classroom setting before in a dialogue to talk about like um, sort of a, a twist around on that where if we had that ring um, in the room and we set it in the in the room and anybody could pick it up, would you pick up the ring? And if so, why? You know, and, and you get these interesting answers of like, well, I would I would take it, but not to use it, but just to prevent somebody bad from taking it, mm. you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was just really interesting to look at that. Um, and it, it's just the, there's, there's a line from Plato's Republic and I, I looked this up cause I was like, okay, this is, this is really getting at Riker's sort of dilemma. It says, uh, um, for all men believe in their hearts that injustice is far more profitable to the individual than justice. And he who argues as I have been supposing will say that they are right. If you could imagine anyone obtaining this power of becoming invisible and never doing any wrong or touching what was another's, he would be thought by the lookers-on to be a most wretched idiot, although they would praise him to one another's faces and keep up appearances with one another from a fear that they too might suffer injustice. And the episode takes a totally different approach than that, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. again, this idea, like you said before, of like, oh, humanity is so exceptional and perfect and wonderful. Um but, but there's a little part of me that loves that aspect of Star Trek, this idea that like, oh, there's hope, you know, and, and the, the better parts of our nature as human beings, you know, that those parts will come out um, mm -hmm. and win out over the, the bad parts of our nature. And I think Gene Roddenberry was kind of one of those science fiction creators who... Hippies. Yeah, hippies. <laughs> yeah, because he couldn't... <laughs> I, I think he, he felt like he was envisioning, you know, gay space communism. Yeah. You know, he was envisioning <laughs> yeah. a future where, where like, yeah, where, where there was justice and, or not justice, yeah. sorry, there was liberation, I think would be the word, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons why, you know, people like us fell in love with this show, because it's like, oh, yeah, it's possible that we could actually envision a future that's, you know, that's more interesting. But. Yeah. Yeah. And to see, I think, a ma mainstream uh, show, because, I mean, the show is wildly popular, even mm -hmm. though it's considered part of nerd culture. It was like very widely watched. Um, and yeah, to see a mainstream show, you know, stick up for things like, um, even though I hate the neo-colonial aspects of it, mm -hmm. it also is a show that basically says that, yeah, everyone should have food and shelter and that money shouldn't exist. And mm -hmm. that's pretty like not something you saw a lot, especially in the fucking eighties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and even today, there's still not a lot of shows that are like pr that that widely popular that are also anti. I, I wouldn't say the show's exactly anti-capitalist, but at least makes a lot of like socialist um, arguments for how the future should look. Yep. 
And I do think that it is heartening that in science fiction and in this genre that a lot of people do think that the future would just naturally be more socialist mm-hmm. because now we're now we're in the scary age of the tech. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like technocratic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, rule where it seems now that when people dream of the future, they're dreaming of like Elon Musk's future. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. so it is, it is really nice to see a show that, even though it also falls into these tech bro kind of, you know, dangers, but it still thinks like, oh, yeah, like we wouldn't have wealth and we would have redistributed resources and like people would be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that the only bummer to that conversation, because I because I agree that that was one of the real like upswings even of this episode was like, oh, it's really cool that they're engaging with this in such a popular um, show. The mm-hmm. only downside to me was that the the real philosophical conversation about human growth and human possibility was between two middle-aged white men <laughs> where it's like, yep. it's Riker and Q and with a little bit added in by Picard. Um, but like, you know, Worf gets belittled and Tasha gets belittled, you know, so like the one character representing, you know, a non-white human male and the, you know, the character who's representing females, like these characters get sort of kind of belittled and sidelined and like the real heavy lifting intellectually happens between Picard, Q and Riker. And I was like, ah, that's such a bummer because I like Riker and I actually like the way they wrote this episode for him. I think it was kind of some cool character development. Mm -hmm. I think that that's actually what we see from Riker in this episode is what we see in him throughout the series is that he is somebody who's a little bit vain and corruptible, but um, ultimately has a good heart, you know? And and I feel like they, they unpack that a little bit. They unpack Picard's character that he's, you know, like he's willing to let something unfold uh, a little bit, um, even if he kind of knows the outcome because he ultimately doesn't want to like interfere with people's learning experiences or people's personal growth. I think that's kind of cool. But it's just a bummer to me that it was only at the very, very end where we start to see, you know, Wesley representing young people and, you know, Jordy representing, you know, somebody with a with a physical disability and like you get these other characters uh, you know data for example all these other characters saying to Riker no we don't want this is like the first time that anybody other than like the coded like kind of like middle-aged white you know hetero male gets a say (laughs) in the philosophical conversation that was the only bummer for me I completely agree it would have been nice to see that explored better and Mm -hmm. and like you said just also the juxtaposition of how infantilized and ridiculous uh Worf and Tasha in in specific were and then Mm -hmm. Jordy was just kind of like missing in the episode in a way he Mm -hmm. was he was there but he wasn't included in any of the like really interesting developments can can Ugh. I mean this is this is really tangential to what you just said, but I I saw this in your notes and I had the exact same thought. Like, Lavar Burton is looking fine. Can we just <laughs> yes. like note that he's so handsome? Yes. I've always thought that he is so handsome. <laughs> well, it's it's a what it's a, a kind of a bummer that he's got that visor on all the time because yeah. it, it's like the only thing you ever really see 
it, it just because of, you know, I mean, and that's, that's how it is, but like, yeah, when you get that close up of him and the camera's panning, I was like, oh my wow, God. he is a really attractive guy. Yeah, he's a beautiful man. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it's like, yeah, he still is with the visor, but there is something about it that just kind of, you you mm-hmm. don't get to really see him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting later that he has almost this like incel storyline. Yeah. Um, but it's like, he's a very attractive man. <laughs> I yeah. just don't, I don't know. I'm like, I also just hated that because I feel like Jordy's pretty like, Anyway, we'll talk about that when those episodes come up. But yes, it was nice to have LeVar Burton have a moment Mm -hmm. of his whole face, Mm -hmm. those beautiful brown eyes, Mm -hmm. and just be like, damn, he is really good looking. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, at least, I guess at least he got a glow up for a minute if he didn't (laughs) get to actually be part of, you know, any important developments in the story. Exactly. I, I, I think this episode had so many quotable moments. So many. And I, I, just, I have so many written down. I'm like, I had to stop. In general, too, I just loved Q mocking Picard at the beginning. <laughs> that was so just, funny. I was just laughing at that, that scene. You said, too, like, you've you've had military privileges too yes, long or yes, something. I wrote that like, down. You're just, yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, John Delancey was just, like, absolutely into it this episode he was like oh my god let me at it oh he was <laughs> living gonna... his best life in this episode he was like ultimate disney villain vibes yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah he said he said a closed mind to accustomed to military privileges i was like yeah. oh that's so good and he and he's like, like your, your species is always suffering and dying <laughs> that was such a good line i know <laughs> Riker's like, people are suffering and dying. And he's like, you people are always suffering and dying. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was so funny. Oh, oh my God. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, another favorite line of mine was, Worf, is this your idea of sex? <laughs> <laughs> and Worf goes, this is sex. This is sex. <laughs> but also that scene was so problematic, too. Uh, all right, should we talk about it? Let's just let's just let's get it over. That's like with. the one like real analysis I have today. Let's rip the bandaid off because it was a it was pretty it was pretty cringy. So I mean, even from the jump, gifting someone another person not great, especially a woman. Never you know? great. N- not good. And then yeah, the and like listen, I understand it's complicated because Klingon culture is written to be a certain way. And I feel like they do a better job with it later to kind of like, because you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's this like warrior culture and you could say maybe it's some kind of exploration of toxic masculinity. Um, so I get what they were trying to do of like, oh, the it's just a different culture and this is how they interact. But showing a black man, you know, because Klingons always seem to be coded black whether the actors are or not um yeah showing a black man like hitting a woman a black woman and showing them both being like animalistic and violent and very primal (laughs) is just not good it's not a good look it's very racially coded it's very offensive and and then compounded with what Worf was saying where it seemed that he was rejecting his people and culture 
given that we also know from the previous episode, Justice, that Worf can't fuck Earth girls because they're too fragile. It, and then him saying, like, she, uh, she's from a world that's alien to me. And when he said this is sex, he said, but this, like, this has no place in my life anymore or something like that. So I'm like, okay, are they just officially making it canon that Worf is, like, celibate and just has no romantic or sexual connections at all and doesn't plan to? And also it sounds like he's rejecting his entire culture and heritage, which we know from later, like, that is the opposite of what Worf ends up being, thankfully. But it was just a very bizarre moment where it's like, what are... It just felt like they were trying to put Worf in some kind of box, like, oh, he's Klingon, but we're not actually going to engage with his Klingonness. And also, we're making Klingons look, you know, barbaric, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I actually like, like, like I was revolted at, at the part where he hits, you know, the female Klingon. Yeah. Just because, for me, just because of what that visually looks like. Like taken out of the context of the whole show, there's just it's just not a good a good look. Um, but but also within the context of the show, as as you've pointed out, I I even felt like this isn't right. This isn't. There's so much nuance about Worf's relationship with Klingons, like with mm-hmm. his own culture, and I I have to believe that the creators knew that at this point like that they had unpacked this backstory of Worf a bit to even position him where they have on the Enterprise. And so it just, to do that felt like it's not even true to the show, but whether it was true to the show or not, it just, it was just insensitive at at very best. It was insensitive, you know, like I get it. Yeah. Klingons are different, but let's, let's not deny what we're showing here. You know, like let's not pretend like, like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It seemed to weirdly like it, it weirdly served to double down on like fetishizing black men mm-hmm. while also putting Worf in this category that Jordy's been put in where mm-hmm. it seems like they're not allowed to have any kind of sexuality mm-hmm. or like we're supposed to be prepared for them to not have these kind of connections in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I think you point out something really interesting that, it, that the show doesn't do a good job of and it, it's around sexuality of like who's allowed to have a sexuality and who isn't you know yeah because i think like picard not being a particularly sexual dude i think is 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 interesting you know because it's like i do too like it's i wish they would leave him that way yeah yeah like I, there's some episodes where they wedge in romantic connections for him or sexual connections and it's always it's like, why? awkward to me yeah. <laughs> it always feels very uncomfortable and i like the idea that Riker, you know is this kind of like you know, that he, he is this kind of like carnal sort of dude, but also mm-hmm. like, he's the only one who's allowed to have a sexuality, you know, because he's a white hetero man, you know? And, and so I feel like yeah. that's sort of gross in that way. And he's way. got a lot of authority, but he's mm-hmm. not like the ultimate authority, like Picard, mm-hmm. where you can kind of understand why they have Picard 
hold back, mm-hmm. you know, because he's the captain. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Riker's like in this sweet spot where mm-hmm. he is a high ranking person, but like he's not the boss. Mm-hmm. So he gets to just wander around the ship and like fucking hit on every new mm-hmm. woman he ever sees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like Jordy doesn't really get a sexuality so much. Mm-hmm. Worf doesn't, Worf just in this episode is denied any sexuality. Um, you know, it's, we've talked in and any previous connection, any connection, because he said that that was part of the conversation with Riker is not just the sexual component, but like intimacy, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. emotional intimacy. He was saying, I don't, I can't have that mm-hmm. with someone who's not Klingon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually I, I just am now having this thought because you made a quip in the recap about you know, that this was like written by, written like by a 10 year old boy, some of these scenes, but it's <laughs> yes. actually, it's funny how true that is about a lot of this, what we're talking about, because it is just this very like kind of 10 year old boy perspective on sex and sexuality where it's like, yeah, sex is only P and V sex and it's like heterosexual and you know, that there's not any kind of nuance or connection or, or any kind of sexuality outside of that. Um, and the guy who looks like the kind of guy that a 10-year-old white boy would want to be when he grows up mm-hmm. is the one who gets to be the one that has a sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> this is like boilerplate kind of guy. Yeah. And we've talked about the problems with how they've unpacked sexuality with Tasha and with Data. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's it just kind of, yeah, that, uh, that scene for me was just like, ah, that's, it's so much of what they get wrong when they get when they were doing so many other things right too you know like this this generally was a really fun episode it was just like you said classic tng kind of awkward set pieces <laughs> but but like yes. you know like an interesting storyline that and is convoluted writing and con- you know yeah. but it's like fun <laughs> yeah. and you have a good time and they like kind of make half of a point and you're like great yeah. i love it yeah and 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 i i kind of yeah it's the thing i love and hate at the same time but it's like <laughs> You know, like like Shakespeare, you know, I roll my eyes at the Shakespeare references. Oh, me too. But at the same time, it's like they're trying to make accessible what people would perceive as like really grand philosophical ideas. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to like, they're like Shakespeare is just a placeholder, I think, for like what people assume is like really high intellect, you know? And for sure. Anyone yeah. who knows Shakespeare knows that Shakespeare is actually like, the lowest form of, you know, of, of that he was like the, um, the Judd Apatow of, (laughs) you know, of theater. (laughs) He was just, you know, he's just making like raunchy comedies for people and, and, you know, rom-coms, but it's, I I do like how the show is conscious about like, Hey, let's, let's make a point, but let's do it in a way where we don't talk down to our audience, but we also don't write the episode so that it's way up here and nobody has access to it. You know, and in that yeah. way, the show takes some pretty cool themes and makes them accessible to, you know, regular, you know, regular viewers who are just kind of wanting to strap in for 43 minutes of Star Trek fun. <laughs> That's a good point. And I and I do agree as much as I get annoyed with the references <laughs> that they have. Um, it 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 is trying to do something, you know what I mean? It is trying to be accessible and to start conversations and to have fun. Mm -hmm. And I can't be too mad at that. Mm -hmm. 
It's just, you know, if they had diversified the writer's room, <laughs> we would just have so many fewer problems. Because, yeah, this this episode was just fun mm -hmm. and silly. And then you have this one moment with the Klingon woman that mm -hmm. just suddenly, you know, slaps you upside the head again with, like, the deeper issues of the show. And it's like, guys, mm -hmm. oh, we were so close. <laughs> we were having so much fun. Which, which could have been avoided, like you said, by diversifying the writer's room. Just by having somebody be like, hey, guys, I don't think this scene is going gonna, is gonna to play out the, like, assuming best intentions, you know, mm -hmm. Hey guys, I don't think this scene is going to play out the way that, that we're thinking of it in a Star Trek world. When we put this on screen, this right. is really going to look racist and, and, you know, gross. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, just having some more eyes on, on things and having some different yeah. perspectives. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're just so close to doing something that was like fine and good, you know, like with Tasha, it just, why does she have to? She literally isn't even a person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I know there's Tasha stands out there and I'm like, how? Like, she's not even a real. I mean, like, have at it. Great. But like, she's not even a real person. Right. She's literally just whatever the show wants her to be in mm -hmm. a moment. Mm -hmm. And she's this placeholder for like a lot of different male fantasies. Mm -hmm. yep. Like we saw the one today where it's like the nice guy TM fantasy of like, oh, if I help you know, or yep. am kind to this person, then she's going to want to fuck me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the authority fantasy where it's like, oh, if I'm a nice boss, then yeah, these women are going to feel like they want, you know, to be with me. And it's like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also I love how she didn't get a gift because it's like, what gift could they give her? Like having not been raped? Like that's right. all we know about her, honestly. Right. Yep. So it's like... This shows how, like, no development she has. And I think it's interesting that none of the female characters were, had gifts. Hmm. Like, Deanna's not even there. She's not in the episode. You know? Yeah. This whole episode. And I feel like this episode, I mean, oh. maybe the actress was unavailable or whatever, but... Yeah, but Bev doesn't get a gift either. No. She just tries to get Wesley f out of the room before he gets a gift, and then she's, like really happy when he rejects his but wow. she doesn't have so it just kind of shows you how weak the writing is around mm -hmm. certain characters that like there's not even anything like what would you give bev what would you give tasha mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what would you give deanna even mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i can't think of a single thing can you no it's yeah, it's it's weird because the only thought I have is like so patriarchal, like with with Bev, but but we don't even really know this in this episode, but like that her husband somehow had an untimely death. Yeah, you know? so like give her her husband back. Maybe. Right, which is so kind of which is like that's that could have been interesting though because that could have yeah. been the moment that would have been a powerful moment for Riker to be like, oh, I've gone too far. Mm. Like when Bev and Wesley both reject. The zombie husband. Yeah. That could have been their moment for Riker to be like, oh, okay, I see it now. Like, if I can just bring people back from the dead, like, this is too much, you know? And, like, like no human should have this kind of power. I mean, and that's a good... I mean, that theme has been seen before, the, the problems with, like, you know, the with the mm -hmm. Lazarus power, you Pet know? Cemetery. What's that? <laughs> Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate horror. That philosophical tome. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you, no, you're right. That's a great point. I what I did love about the gift scene was how it did fly in the face of 
like, like I feel like that was something they did really well in the in the way that they did it. So knowing that it was generally badly done, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? But but when they you know like when they're basically like you know oh I'm gonna Jordy I'm gonna give you your sight back as if it's like every person who's blind as if it's their greatest wish to have their their sight you know what I mean mm -hmm. or like for data oh I'm gonna make you human as if it's everybody who has a particular you know maybe a neurodivergence or something that they're, you know, it's like this assumption that everyone's wish is to not have Be something the in their life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or to like make things easier. And it was, I, I liked how they, you know, they just showed that rejection that like, no, it's like the, the fundamental thing of being human is that there's nothing wrong with us that we don't want to change. Yeah. We don't want to change the things that are, that we see as difficult, you know? Yeah. Even uh, Q even says that to Wesley when he asks to be turned back. He's like, boy, it's easier mm -hmm. this way. Mm -hmm. You know, and Wesley's like, no, I want to like, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I want to like go on that journey mm -hmm. myself. I don't want to take this shortcut. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was cool. And something the show does really well, I think uh, we can kind of see how we feel as we go along. But I think the disability representation is absolutely unbelievable like mm. honestly like unparalleled to like almost any other show i can think of mm. um and i think this scene to me the scene was very well done like like we said it was poorly done but it was also very well done right in that if you take Riker for what he is which is a privileged middle-aged uh white guy mm -hmm. his gifts make total sense like you were saying <laughs> Cause, it, cause it's not just like, like with Jordy, with Jordy, it's the obvious thing, but it's also kind of like the white savior thing of like, mm -hmm. look, I just gave you, you know, I just fixed it. I fixed all your problems. Mm -hmm. And it was also a really well-written scene because the gifts he gave and who he gave them to made sense. This is also something the show does really well writing wise. I have to give it credit for is continuity and character development. Mm -hmm are very on point, like, like very surprisingly. So mm -hmm. you can watch episodes in season seven that make complete sense to things that are happening right now in season one. Mm. And it is extremely rare to find a show, especially a long running show that holds to that level of like character development and mm -hmm. consistency. So anyway, with Riker, it was like, um, we saw him have that conversation with Worf you know, two episodes ago. Mm -hmm. So his gift to Worf makes sense. Yeah. In the context of I'm this privileged white guy. Yeah. And I'm here having my white savior moment. And so I'm going to assume like, oh, we just had this conversation. So I'm going to give you this gift that like is inappropriate and doesn't make sense, mm -hmm. but makes sense to our relationship to each other and the conversations we've had. Mm -hmm. And I like I liked with Worf. It was like, oh, we saw that conversation and then with Wesley, we didn't see that conversation, but it makes sense that like Riker has talked to Wesley and has learned that he wants to be more grown up, you know, and that he's going to give him that gift. I just thought it was pretty incredible in that like we got a real vibe for his relationship to each person and from that perspective, taking him as he is, his gifts make complete sense to what he's how he's related to everyone and also his perspective as this privileged person. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that's it is one of the things that makes Star Trek a show that is interesting and has longevity is that we're invested in the relationships between the characters and we're invested in the characters themselves. Um, And yeah, I, 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 I do, I do love that aspect of, of Riker in, in this episode as well. Um, And it is nice too, to think about in future episodes, we do get different aspects of each person's character kind of getting unpacked mm-hmm. a little bit more. So it's, it's stuff to look forward to in future episodes too. Yeah. All the boys have great, <laughs> yeah. great writing, yeah. great paths yeah. as people, Yeah, the women, not so much, but, but it mm. is something, if you can take the show to me, the show primarily represents again, amazing disability representation. Mm-hmm. There's an episode with Worf later on that like, absolutely blew my mind and i just thought it was so great Mm. um disability wise and also like an examination of like men and their relationships to one another Mm -hmm. and like what it means to be a man and like kind of working through you know these ideas that men are not supposed to have feelings Mm -hmm. or be soft or you know like speak emotionally to one another Mm -hmm. then the show does like some really amazing work Mm-hmm. even as it is very weak in other ways um you know but it, you could say that about almost any piece of media it's very hard to find anything that's perfect yeah, yeah. and this one you know it's i don't want to sit here and sound like i'm excusing blatant racism or the other massive issues that it has but it's also to say yeah that's why we love the show yeah and yep. this scene was a good example i think of why we both love the show mm-hmm. you know i loved um the callback with Worf. And then I loved the like character development you get with his conversation with Wesley, where it's like, we didn't see them have this talk, but we can picture it. Can't we, we can picture Uh this young kid who doesn't have a dad, Uh like talking to this kind of alpha male guy about how he wants to be more grown up than Uh he wants to be a man. Uh And I just like, even though we didn't see it, it's just, you can picture it. And you're like, that gets added to your canon of like how these people relate to one another and how much they care about one another and what the stakes are. Hmm. And I thought it was interesting too, that Riker says he knows Wesley the best. And also it was Wesley getting stabbed that made him like snap and use the Q powers to turn, turn everything back. So I just thought it was really cute because you often see Riker and Wesley like arguing or whatever, (laughs) but there's also this idea that like Wesley is getting a bit of mentorship from him, not just Picard and that they do have some kind of special relationship. Even yeah. if we don't always see it, you know? Yeah. 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 So there were, there were, there was a lot to like, I think in this episode. I think so too. What did, uh, did you have any words of wisdom? Um, in particular, <laughs> There's so many. I mean, the the word of wisdom, I hope I'm not stealing yours, but the change is at the heart of what you are, but change into what is the question? That to oh. me was like really fucking profound. Oh, actually. You're, not, you're not stealing mine. That's a great one. Yeah. Q said that uh, when he and Riker were drinking lemonade. <laughs> can we? Okay. Can we hit pause for a minute? Lemonade is not refreshing. No. It's, tasty Mm -hmm. but it's not i hate when people say things are refreshing Mm -hmm. that are not refreshing it is not going to quench your thirst i mean no it's full of sugar and like 
citric acid. <laughs> so it's like, it's delicious, but it's not quenching. It's anyway. so funny that they were drinking lemonade too. Of all the drinks it could have been, I found that to be so funny. I know. It was like mixing so many genres because yeah. that felt very... Um, that felt very like U.S. Mm -hmm, to me, like mm -hmm. the U.S. South mm -hmm. is like where you would have lemonade on the porch when it's hot out. <laughs> yeah. But then they were doing this like late 1800s French military thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah. This is so weird. Yeah, it's like really, really mixing I things mean, maybe, together here. Maybe the French military were known for drinking lemonade. What do I know? But <laughs> it just felt very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what was your word or words of wisdom? Oh, oh, mine was... There was so much to pick from. I, I was like, what is Mike going to do? I know. I had a lot, but I I just, I loved it when Q said, let us pray. And Picard goes, let us do no such damn thing. <laughs> what is this need of yours for costumes, Q? Have you no identity <laughs> of your own? <laughs> that was so good. I, just, I was like, that's right, Picard. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I love that. It was so good. I mean... Maybe it was just the, you know, no, we're not going to be praying <laughs> part of it. But yeah. I just. You're I, like, it gets me every time. I know. I just, I loved that. I mean, there were a few other great lines from this episode. Um, the one about military privileges. Uh, the one. That was a good one. Yeah. yeah. I also like the, oh, your species is always suffering and dying. Well, he's got us there, Captain. Ah, the redoubtable Commander Riker, whom I noticed before. You seem to find this all very amusing. I might. If we weren't on our way to help some suffering and dying humans who... Oh, your species is always suffering and dying. So good. Like, it's funny, and it's a good line for that, but it's also, like, kind of profound. I'm mm -hmm. like, we are always suffering and dying, mm -hmm. especially under capitalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know? I was like, Q, that's a 2022 mood. I know, right? I know. This episode <laughs> holds up well. <laughs> it really does. Um, my last nitpick for the episode, mm -hmm. or thought, I guess, is that I was... I know. I don't know how things went down, and honestly, I thought Tasha died in like the seventh episode. Spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know that her character dies soon. Anyway, but she dies, like, so randomly. And I was like, oh, my God, this episode would have been perfect for her to die in. Oh, because the penalty box? Yes, yeah. because then one of them would have had to carry the weight and guilt of her death. It would have been just so much more meaningful mm. than the way she dies later. Because she dies later by, like, some <laughs> convoluted... Almost like an accident, basically. Yeah, it's. I think wasn't that just because they had to write her out of it? Yeah, and like in, yeah. in this episode, so, they probably didn't know that was going to happen, right? Exactly. I so I was like, yeah, it's not their fault. They didn't know, but I was like, oh my god, this would have been the perfect time. I actually had the thought in this episode. I was like, oh, is this the one where Tasha dies? Just because when he mm -hmm. when he sends her away like that, I was like, oh, this must be the one where she dies. And I was like, oh no. Well, and I guess it would be hard, too, because they always make sure to walk that line where Q is, like, evil, but not, mm -hmm. like, actually evil. Mm -hmm. I was even thinking about in this episode, I'm like, has Q ever, like, really done anything? <laughs> Which is a ridiculous thing to say, because, like, he definitely is not good, you know? Right. But it's like, yeah, they walk that line where it's like, he's a lovable scamp, you know? Uh -huh, he's just, uh -huh. like... He does these things that seem really dangerous, but then he's always kind of like, uh, I was never going to let anything happen. Uh -huh. Don't worry about it. 
So, yeah, so I think him, like, actually killing Tasha would have probably been... Too much. Not where they wanted to go with the character, which I understand, but... Yeah, I just thought, like, wow, this would have been such a more meaningful death. And, like, given that the writers are very good at consistency Uh and keeping uh storylines, it just would have been cool if, like, Riker or someone had been the one to push her out and Uh kill her. Because, like, Riker is a tragic character. And, like, would have actually, whoever did it would have actually, like, carried that with them right and i think it would have come up again and again and i think that would have been really interesting oh missed opportunity uh, what are you gonna do, what are you gonna do? <laughs> so did you uh, did you have an episode rating oh my god i had like seven <laughs> <laughs> but i think i so i landed on one and then i'll tell you my my uh the losing ones okay um okay so my episode rating is I borrowed this from your stodgy captain's mind. <laughs> That's what Q says to Riker when they first get down on the planet. And Riker's yep. like, what is this French military I stuff? <laughs> he said, I borrowed this from your stodgy captain's mind. Oh. And I was like, this episode is from a stodgy captain's mind. <laughs> what was your episode reading? So mine... <laughs> was <laughs> flim flam <laughs> yes <laughs> that was such a quiet perfect moment <laughs> I know and I, and I had a good reason for it too because I was like you know like a lot of episodes in season one it's apparent that the show was really trying hard to find its footing in this episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it has a really interesting premise it feels yeah. like it tries a little too hard and mm-hmm. like they're maybe yeah. trying to do a little bit too much by like mixing in the god powers and the gifts and to the point where like we said they kind of have to rush the resolution of the episode at the end realizing yeah. that they only have a 43 minute you know format or whatever <laughs> and and i was just like i was like yeah i'm, I'm with Worf on that, that one like flim flam was <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah, so one of my my backup ratings was he's nothing but a flim flam man. Yeah. <laughs> and just the way that Worf is like they cut to him in the background mm-hmm. and he's just saying it to himself because mm-hmm. usually with these scenes they'll have one of the characters like ask another character right. and then they like talk about it. But this one they just let Worf like say it to himself mm-hmm. and just to call out like I don't know. It was just such a beautiful moment. Of like not only would this this person not know what this word meant, mm-hmm. but also just that it's like a funny thing to say. Mm-hmm. It's like such a boomer thing to say. I know it is right. No offense to our boomers, we love y'all. Yeah, just, it's just you know. it's just funny. It's just very funny. Yeah, yeah. And then my other follow up rating was not now. Damn it, Q. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great rating that's a but great then rating. i was like uh but i always think now is the time for q I because know. i love q it, this episode was so funny because at the end of it i was like i liked that episode wait did it <laughs> did i yeah i think i did yeah i did <laughs> you know? i had i had a similar experience where i was like wait did i enjoy myself i think i did <laughs> <sighs> 
Oh my god. And I also just, uh, I had a note that I loved the way that Data moves stuff like it's no problem. Because you can just tell that he's picking up like foam rocks. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But the way that Brent Spiner acts it is just so perfect. Mm -hmm. Like he just has Data like pick stuff up and then like fling it aside. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like a giant rock. Yeah, he's super casual about it, you know. Yeah. And I do like, uh, this was another thing I thought was written well in terms of like character development and world building is that they had data, like Riker tried to open the door to the mining, the mine or whatever, Mm -hmm. and he couldn't do it. And he just kind of signals for data to do it. And data does it with one hand. Mm -hmm. And then Bev signals for data to help with the rocks Mm -hmm. to get them off the dead, the conveniently dead child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like they weren't they weren't saying like, oh, he's an android. He's so strong. But right. there's just it was very natural the way that they were kind of like like Riker just signaling to Data to like open the door mm-hmm. and Data doing it with one hand very easily. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I was like, OK, I see you like there's some little hints of the better writing and the, mm-hmm. the good acting coming through and, and the, the character development. Yes. And the away team was like the dream team, you know, it was like, it was fun to see that away team, you know, kind of function together and gel together. Yeah, it was, it was a solid episode. It was a solid episode. It's probably as good as we'll get in season one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and probably also season two. (laughs) You got to be forgiving of the early seasons, you know, in some ways. If you're going to be able to stomach them, you got to be able to be forgiving (laughs) sometimes. You got to take the good with the bad mm-hmm. in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the next episode is. Let me look it up real quick. I think it's episode 10. <laughs> Sorry. That's my, Thank you. That's my terrible attempt at humor right now. <laughs> <laughs> Very helpful. All right. Let's see. Oh. I like kind of barely remember this one. It was so funny because when this episode started, I, I didn't, I didn't know what it was before it started. And then once it started and got into it a little bit, I was like, I totally remembered it. And I was like, oh my God, this is the episode where Worf pours out his drink. (laughs) I was so excited. Anyway, the next episode, I feel like I kind of remember a little bit, but, but ask me what the next episode is. What is the next episode? <laughs> Was so that dramatic episode, enough? <laughs> yes, the next episode, uh, season one, episode 10, Haven. And this one is where Counselor Deanna Troy goes to meet her would-be husband, which I kind of remember. Okay. And I think Riker gets a little bit jealous, mm-hmm. if I recall, mm-hmm. as their annoying po- polyamorous but not really... right relationship and constantly saying we're just friends but then they're like more than friends Mm -hmm. anyway this is where it really gets going if i recall correctly exciting all right y'all we will see you on the next one bye
Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. 